the vast majority of Americans are in favor of taxing the very wealthiest among us. So why do Democrats and Republicans stand together to fight it? Can there be change? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. For many years, most Americans have believed that the economic system is rigged. Of course it's rigged. But somehow most of us have shrugged our shoulders and figured, well, that's just the way it is. Not a thing we can do about it. And that acceptance is because, well, it seems so foundational. It's been this way for so long. Might as well just give up and keep our own noses to the grindstone, do the best we can for ourselves and our families. Of course, with the political power of the wealthy, frankly, greedy interests over both parties, though the vast majority of us, again, uh, of both parties, believe we should tax the rich, nothing seems to ever be done about it. But the truth is, it hasn't always been this way. We've had booming economies when the wealthy were taxed, and perhaps now, maybe Possibly, given the pressure for new money to fund President Biden's ambitious and sorely needed Build Back Better plan, with all the wrangling on Capitol Hill, it appears that taxing the wealthiest may actually be in sight. We have two guests on today's show. Morris Pearl is the first one, and Erica Payne. They are co-authors of a new book, Tax the Rich! Exclamation point, how lies, loopholes, and lobbyists make the rich even richer. The book not only describes how the system is rigged, but offers a blueprint for how to fix it. Our first guest is Morris Pearl. Thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Great to be on your show again, Bert. Thank you. Sure. Morris Pearl, former managing director of the investment managing company BlackRock, is chair of the Patriotic Millionaires, a group of hundreds of high net worth Americans committed to making all Americans better off by building a more prosperous, stable, and inclusive nation and ensuring that millionaires, billionaires, and corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And of all the Tax the Rich proposals considered in the past few months, one seems to perhaps still have life to it and to be a real possibility. Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden of Oregon called his proposal a way to consistently tax billionaires who typically avoid paying annual income taxes. Wyden said, there are two tax codes in America. Boy, is he right. The first is mandatory for workers who pay taxes out of every paycheck. The second is voluntary for billionaires who defer paying taxes for years, if not indefinitely, end of his quote. Under the Democrats' proposal, for the first time, billionaires would have to pay taxes on unrealized gains in the value of their liquid assets, such as stocks, bonds, and cash. This money can continue to grow for years as vast capital stores that can be borrowed off to live virtually income tax-free. 
and for billionaire entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, substantially all of their net worth is capital gains. Now, under the Wyden plan, billionaires would have to be taxed at 23.8% on their capital gains. Other proposals which have died along the way have done so for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the fear expressed by reasonably well-off people that they would be burdened unfairly, even though they are not super rich. What makes this plan different? What, what percentage of the population does the Wyden plan increase taxes on? Well, the Wyden plan for actual billionaires only taxes a few hundred billionaires, order of 700 people, right. in the entire United States of America. So it's very hard to say that it is going to affect people that actually work for a living here in America. We're talking about people who make lots of money, people who are very rich, <clears throat> but because the way they make money is by having companies, the value of which goes up and up and up over time, they're able to spend the money, they're able to live very well, but they don't have what we call taxable income. And we only tax income here in the United States, specifically defined. We don't tax getting rich by making a lot of money because the value of your business, be it Facebook or Tesla or Amazon or any, of, any number of businesses go up. So I think this is, as Senator Wyden says, sort of deciding to put billionaires and entrepreneurs on the same footing as all of the other Americans who work for a living. What a concept, fairness. Hmm. Critics always insist that, well, if you increase the top capital gains tax rate, that will spur these wealthy people to slow down their investments and thus destroy jobs. What's the truth about this? Look, I mean, I'm an investor. I've not worked for a living for uh, seven or eight years. And I invest millions of dollars in the stock market. That does not create jobs. I decide to buy stock in Apple. And yes, I send money to someone who happens to be selling their stock that day. That does not make any difference at all to the company. That does not help them hire more workers in their iPhone factory or their computer factory or anything else. What makes the decision to hire more workers is the millions of people who want to buy Apple computers and iPhones and things like that, not people like me who might decide to buy or sell stock any given day. The idea that investors are going to go on strike and so you need to like have some kind of appeasement policy is just ludicrous. Any investor would rather invest his money and make a profit and possibly pay taxes on that profit rather than not investing money and making no profit at all. It seems pretty clear. And, and people who invest money tend to be interested in having it work, making more money. Now, income tax is one thing, but capital gains, of course, is something else. As it stands now, it seems like a lot of people are subject to capital gains taxes from time to time, not just the very richest. Who now pays this capital gains tax and what triggers it? Should passively earned wealth, such as gains from the sale of real estate, be taxed differently from income? Well, we do exempt gains from the sale of someone's actual residence and an actual working farm. But other than that, yeah, if 
I make money by buying and selling stock and you make money by working at the radio station, getting a paycheck every week. Why on earth should you pay taxes and me not pay taxes? I don't see any sense of that whatsoever. Yeah, I tend to agree. And, you know, we've had one of our, our great presidents of the 20th century, uh, Eisenhower, uh, when the economy was terrific, uh, had a very high tax rate on, on that portion of income above and beyond a certain level. Now, that was income, but it, 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 the point is it's worked in the past. And Americans traditionally hold wealthy people up with great esteem. We tend to think they deserve all their money because, well, they were smart and or worked hard for their money. Working class, working class people here don't think of themselves as working class. They're just not yet rich. They aspire. Working class Americans identify with the rich. I'm reminded that I read about the Europe-wide revolutions of 1848. Back then, it was the peasant class, which was the aristocracy's most fervent defenders. Today, of course, we're in a second Gilded Age in which very few of us have tremendous wealth. It seems like a lot of people really don't care. The extreme levels of inequality, it never seems to move people. Not in this country. There's no class consciousness. How does one explain this passivity? Well, I think you're right that sort of everyone either thinks that, well, somehow God's countenance shined upon the rich people, and that's why they're rich, and that's just how life is meant to be or that they're going to be rich too someday. And, you know, they don't want to be taxed when they get rich. But I think now people are actually starting to change. I think over the last few years, part of the reason why people in both the left and the right voted so much for candidates who said they're going to upend the system, like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, is that people are realizing that it's not working. People are losing hope. People are losing hope of their children having even the same life that they had, much less a better life. And we're seeing people get involved in you know, addiction to opioids and deaths of despair. And I think that's why we're seeing a breakdown society is because we've actually lost that ability of people to move from, you know, uh, people who actually work for a living and make a good income to people who are very rich. Even those who do become very rich, a lot of them are people who worked very hard to be born as the children of billionaires. A lot of them are people who advise rich people and become rich in the process, like by managing money. And a lot of them are people who start off way ahead of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Even so-called self-made billionaires like Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg got huge amounts of assistance from their families and friends, hundreds of thousands of dollars that most of us did not have the opportunity to start with. You know, Mark Zuckerberg built a huge business and did a great job building Facebook, but he also had a father who was a very successful dentist who supported he and his sister mm. for years while they were building that business before it became profitable. Um, and that's not something that a lot of Americans can count on. And I think people are realizing there's this huge divide between 
those who are very successful and everyone else, and they've just kind of given up. Yeah, they have. In, in other countries, you know, the, the, the unions are stronger. Uh, there's a sense of, of class consciousness. That's not the case here. This passivity that has been there for so long, um, has what, what is it? Do you think it's the um, extreme difference now that's making a difference? I mean, you and I, we've seen so many people loving, worshiping basically Donald Trump because he has so much wealth. And, and uh, you know, I, I just I don't really understand this. And I'd like to think that there are triggers that are going on now where this passivity is starting to be affected. I mean, you know, the, the current administration is, is talking about taxing the rich. I think it's tremendously popular to do the idea. Do you st- are you starting to see a change in this traditional passivity? Well, sure. I mean, we're hugely farther along than we were a few years ago. You know, these were considered off-the-wall crazy ideas five or ten years ago. In 2020, those things people were debating about who were running for president. It's now the idea of the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee we're talking about, yeah. the president of the United States. So, sure, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, right? but I think we've he made a huge difference over the last few years, and we're a lot further along than we were just a few years ago. And I don't think it's a few people at the top, you know, the top 100 or 1,000 people that are sort of causing people to lose hope. We've always had that, you know. No one is as rich now in comparison to the general population as John D. Rockefeller was decades ago. Mm-hmm. I think what it is is the difference between the middle and the bottom is getting so much greater and greater and greater. That's what's really causing the problem is the fact that we're getting sort of within the 99%, we're getting this huge disparity and that the people are just losing hope of being successful. Yeah, and of course, during the 50s, uh, when I was growing up, there was something called a middle class. It was big, it was strong, it was robust, and taxes on the wealthy were much higher then. But people seem to forget that, and and it's starting to come back. The, The fact that a lot of people who used to be in the middle class are realizing Hey, you know, it, it ain't how it used to be. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about money. It's something essential to have tax fairness. We're hearing more and more of a push for it. It's great. We're speaking with uh, author uh, Morris Pearl. Uh, it's got a, he's co-author of a new book, Tax the Rich! Exclamation point! How Lies, Loopholes, and Lobbyists Make the Rich Even Richer. Lobbyists have got to be keeping really busy these days. I, I wonder who, who they, it's, it's interesting to me how, you know, there can be clear public sentiment, overwhelming public sentiment, but the lobbyists in Washington have great power over Democrats and Republicans, especially when it comes to this issue. Any comments about the, the power of the lobbyists? I think it's not so much that it's powerful individuals. I think it's that our representatives, you know, in the House and the Senate, spend so much time with their wealthy donors that they become very familiar with whatever it is that bothers and annoys and frustrates these mm. wealthy people who they spend all of their time with, because so spend all of their time raising money. And honestly, 
after a few years, it becomes just second nature. Oh, sending in quarterly tax payments because you're making money. That's kind of annoying. <laughs> and they don't even know the people who get a paycheck every week with tax deducted from that paycheck. You know, I'm in, I'm in Hilton <sighs> right now because I'm going to a shindig with the Democrats, Democrats who are in the Senate. And that's part of the problem yes. is that our officials spend so much time with the major donors. And that's why we need campaign finance reform as we proposed in HR one and S one. And I do think it's very interesting that, you know, a lot of people can't figure out the people who live in lower density population areas, why they came out so strong for Trump and the perception was, at least, that the Democratic nominee in 2016 was spending a lot of time with rich people, but flew over those states, paid no attention to them. Democrats, I think, are really at risk, this is my opinion, if we don't pay attention to them. And I think it's a serious problem. The Demo you know, Bernie started to do that, but we have a ways to go as, as Democrats. And as you know, marketing is everything. Republicans coined the phrase job creators to set up a neat public shield for them to kowtow to their wealthy backers. The idea is that job creators uniquely support the economy and thereby deserve the tax breaks. Your reaction? The idea that we invest in the job creators is just false. Hmm. I mean, yes, we... We invest in businesses that hire people, but it's not because we're benevolent. It's because hiring people is a way to make money. And people are only hired if those people contribute to the profits of the business. They're not hired because the investors, prof the investors taxes are lower. It doesn't make any difference at all. If I can hire a person and that person will make me more money, I will do that whether my tax rate is 0% or 99%. It, it's the same decision. I'll make more money hiring the person than not hiring the person. If somebody lowers my taxes, you know, that means I will be richer, period. It doesn't mean I'll hire more people because if those more people would have contributed to profits, I would have hired them already regardless of my tax rate. It's just a completely false argument. Well, as we know, false arguments, if they're simple and they resonate, yeah, that seems to be what works a good bit of the time, unfortunately. And it's it's harder to get to the meat of things when simplicity uh, seems to resonate so much. It's, it's frustrating and it's a challenge, but we have to do it. Now, you're chair of Patriotic Millionaires. No doubt you agree it's not a bad thing to have money. You say... The public investments laid out in the American Families Plan will make everyone, including rich people like me, better off in the long run. Tell us, how does that work? Yes. I am planning to live in a country where my children and grandchildren have this kind of opportunities that I do. That's what I want to do. People become rich in America because they live in a country with millions of people who pay their bills every month, who buy expensive things every month, mm. like organic ice cream and expensive shoes and things like that. Not because they live in a country with lower taxes. There are plenty of countries with lower taxes in America. You can move to Somalia if you want to pay lower taxes. 
but you're not going to be able to start a business there selling $5 ice cream cones either. That doesn't work. That's what we need is a country filled with people who have enough money to pay for things. That seems pretty straightforward. And for much of American history, it was generally accepted that corporations had certain social obligations to their workers, their customers, the communities they operated in, and the country as a whole, that big corporations doing very well had social obligations. Fast forward to 1970. How did Milton Friedman turn that understanding on its head? And the ramifications, please. Yeah. I mean, these guys from the Chicago school, many of whom have never seen a street of Chicago, are just coming up with this idea that people that own businesses should be running those businesses purely for their own short-term financial benefits. You know, after Milton Friedman said that, well, the purpose of a corporation is making money for the owners, meaning the shareholders, you know, we had people coming, you know, Carl Icahn taking over Transworld Airlines and shutting it down. And yes, there are corporations that are worth more shut down than working, but most actual entrepreneurs would prefer to run their companies and continue making money year after year after year and not shut things down. This America where we live used to be filled with small Main Street businesses that supported all of the little leagues and rec parks and things like that that made America what it is. Now, we don't have Main Street business people anymore. We have people that make $16 an hour working at the Gap as assistant managers, you know, who may schedule their workers, but the companies are only run by 20 executives somewhere, not one in every town in America. And that's part of the problem is we don't have business people that own businesses connected with their local communities anymore. And aren't there examples of very successful businesses doing well for their, you know, stockholders and being good citizens to their communities, to paying their workers well, having, you know, unions and things like that. There there are examples where and, and people think, well, you know, if I pay fifteen dollars for a hamburger flipper, my burgers are the price of my burgers are gonna go up substantially. What, what about the reality behind that perception? Well, look at Seattle, for example. See what happened when they raised the wages there and everyone had to pay more money for their workers and their hamburger joints. They actually sold more hamburgers because more people wanted to go out to eat all the time because they didn't have money to afford to go out to eat. The same guy who was complaining bitterly how he would be out of business actually had to lease more space because yeah. he needed more tables to fit all the people that were coming to his restaurants. So that the reality is that you make money as a business person owning the hamburger joint based on how much money all the people in the restaurant ordering the hamburgers make, not how much wages the one guy who's behind the grill flipping the hamburgers makes. That's far less important. Mm. And the uh, patriotic millionaires, how, you know, people, I'd like to leave people on this show with something they can do. 
And not everybody is about to join patriotic millionaires. What what can people do? Do you think? I mean, it, it's it's been quite a challenge for a long time to just simply, you know, increase the consciousness about this tremendous unfairness in terms of, you know, are people doing their part as citizens? I mean, the idea of being a citizen in America is to be a participant in our republican form of government. What what can people do? Well, frankly, they can call their congress people, their senators and representatives and tell them that this is important to them and tell them that they actually vote and tell them that they are the bosses of the representatives. That's right. We have a we have a website taxtherich.com, taxtherich.com where we list those representatives who are a little squishy on this issue. Uh-huh. So, and their phone numbers. Uh-huh. And we can look at patrioticmillionaires.org, patrioticmillionaires.org, and you can see what we're doing and sign up for updates if you want to. And I think politicians have, being a recovering politician myself, recognize that, yeah, campaign money is important, but the, the goal of the campaign money is to get votes. Votes come from people. There's a lot more people than there are Uh, you know, who vote, who don't have a lot of money. And so, you know, connecting with that, it does matter. Absolutely matters. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, few days, actually, with this lobby, you know, wrangling that's going on in Washington. The book is called Tax the Rich, How Lies, Loopholes, and Lobbyists Make the Rich Even Richer. Thank you again for being with us, Morris Pearl. Great to be in your show, Bert. Thank you. Thank you. Please stay with us through this good rock and roll. We'll be right back. Welcome to 
Erica Payne is founder and president of Patriotic Millionaires. Thanks so much for being with us. So happy to be here. Well, founder and president of Patriotic Millionaires. How did it come to be? When? I mean, tell us about the uh, genesis, please. Yeah, sure. So 11 years ago, during the lame duck session of Congress in 2010, it became very clear to anybody paying attention that uh, President Obama was going to cave to Republican demands to extend the Bush tax cuts. And it really, really irritated me. Um, And so I called some millionaires I knew and I said, hey, I think you all should tell the president and the Congress that you don't think the Bush tax cuts should be extended. And so about 50 folks got together, crafted a very short letter that basically said, for the good of the country, raise our taxes. Um, I called them the patriotic millionaires and put their letter up on a website. And I mean, it exploded in the media. Bert, I mean, about a week later, the president of the Czech Republic was talking about this group of patriotic millionaires on the floor of the Czech parliament. The largest television station in Japan flew over Mm. and followed us around as we went and lobbied members of Congress. I mean, it was just this really novel idea that millionaires may actually, you know, understand that they need to pay higher taxes than they've been paying. And I do think it's it's true, you know, outside of America, I think people get that more. But we've had situations in America where millionaires and the concept of billionaires is relatively recent. And if you, you got to think about it. A billion is a thousand million. I mean, to me, that's just nuts. But that's you know, a lot of millions. <laughs> but the, the idea that wealthy people have a responsibility and that it, it's in their self-interest to have a stronger economy is something kind of unfamiliar to a lot of people here in America as of late, but uh, we've had it before. And there's action in Washington, a lot of it, and it's wrangling, and a couple of people have been real stumbling blocks. We don't need to say their names. Lobbying groups have launched a full-court press against the new plan to tax the very richest. And given the fact that there are 50 Democrats in the Senate, including the vice president, how is it that the plan might actually pass not needing any Republican votes? This reconciliation process, I I don't really understand it. Maybe I imagine a lot of people don't. Tell us, please. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. So the reconciliation process is a special um, a special process where they can pass legislation with only 51 votes. So they need 50 Democrats, and then Kamala Harris will um, cast the tie-breaking uh-huh. vote. And, I mean, what has happened in the decade or so since the patriotic millionaires have first come together is that people have really woken up to how egregiously rigged the tax code is. And the tax code is one of the real fundamental building blocks of the economy. So if you rig the tax code, you rig the economy. And about 71% of people, Bert, think the economy is rigged against them. I'm not sure what the other 29% are thinking because it surely is rigged against them. And I wanna be clear on one point. This is not about punitively raising taxes on billionaires. It's actually about just making sure that millionaires, multimillionaires, and billionaires do what us poor working schlobs have to do. You know, people, working people in this country pay their taxes out of their paycheck. And they pay, in many, many, many cases, substantially higher rates than people like Elon Musk because of the way the tax code is set up and the way it values different parts of money. So just to be clear, 
if say that I make a hundred thousand dollars or one of your, um, you know, one of your listeners makes a hundred thousand dollars working 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, their federal tax bill as it stands right now will be around $9,000. That's serious money. If Elon Musk or our chair or one of our members clicks a button on their E-Trade account, and sells $100,000 worth of stock, they will pay $0 in federal taxes. And it gets worse and worse as you go up the income scale. And so what we've basically done is we've created a tax structure that guarantees people who are working using their sweat and their brains to get that money in for their families and their lives, that they are paying substantially higher rates than people who are living off of their inheritance or have already made a lot of money. And we just want to, equal. I mean, let's just start by equalizing that. Let's just make sure Elon Musk has to actually pay taxes, which in many years he hasn't previously. So that's the first step. And we're not going to get all the way there in this bill, but we will get we, we will get an important first step in the journey of a thousand miles. Yeah, yes. That's how it works. Like <laughs> I, I I talk to my daughters about this a little bit. When I see a big pile of dishes in the sink, I could be overwhelmed or just do them one at a time. It gets done. You know, That's dirt. exactly right. Just one at a time. And so, listen, this reconciliation bill yeah. is on some level, it's a Band-Aid on a hemophiliac. Okay. The revenues that they brought in, yes, they're going to do about $2 trillion of additional revenues. That is largely, um, you know, directed towards the people who are getting the biggest cakewalk right now. So they're doing a surtax on super high incomes. They're doing some other good stuff. They're doing some important reforms to the corporate side. What they haven't done, though, is really addressed the disease that the country is suffering from. And that disease is inequality. And that inequality is propelled by the tax code. So our tax code, even with the important changes that they're making, um, that they will make in this reconciliation bill, our tax code will still guarantee that this country will become even more unequal, even more quickly over time. And we're already at 100-year levels of inequality. So let's get mm. this reconciliation package done, and then let's really roll up our sleeves and do real tax reform. You know, it does amaze me that, that you know, we used to have a big middle class. I'm, I'm that old that I remember it. Uh, and, but now we don't, and people seem to be okay with it. I, you know, other countries we've seen, Throughout history, there have been revolutions when, you know, a situation like this exists. But here, people seem just complacent and even passive. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, first of all, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I mean, in the people, you know, we just spent three days in West Virginia and talking to Joe Manchin's voters. Now, this is a state oh, that voted for Donald Trump by 34 points. We took a couple of our members and some of our staff down there, and we just wanted to talk to them about tax policy. And I will tell you, almost to a person, every single person I talked to, and who knows if they were Democrats, Republicans voting for Trump, I don't know, but the state itself voted for Trump 34 points, as I said. So, um, you know, these folks know that millionaires and billionaires are getting away with murder. I think the problem is they're not sure they can do anything about it because they see how much power these the elite classes have in Washington. So there may be some apathy that has been 
you know, some apathy that has that has taken hold just because it can feel like such a hopeless battle. I mean, we've been at this for 11 years and we have finally seen a tiny change from about 50 percent of the political system in doing anything to raise taxes on billionaires. But as I said, you know, we have a tremendous way to go. And the other thing is, you know, it's been decades in the making. For, so, um, you know, in yes. after World War II, the marginal income tax rates were 91 percent. Today, the top marginal rate is around 37 percent. The estate tax during Reagan's era had a $650,000 equivalent, you know, kind of carve out exemption. Mm-hmm. And then the rates were 70 percent. So this has been a multi-decade fight. Um, and so it's sort of like the frog in the in the frying pan, yeah. you know, or the frog in, in the water. You turn up the water slowly enough. You know, the frog doesn't notice, but people people have woken up and I think we've seen a sea change in the culture in the last 10 years. And that's and that's what got us to where we are now. There's a lot lot left to do. And I do find that culture changes before politics pretty traditionally. I think that happens. A couple of characters in the book tax the rich, how lies, loopholes and (laughs) lobbyists make the rich even richer. The work hearts. W-E-R-K-H-A-R-D-T-S, <laughs> and the slumps. Tell us about them, please. Yes. we. So here's the thing. So the, the book, Tax the Rich, what we wanted to do is write a book that an ordinary person without an accounting degree could read and understand and, dare I say, enjoy. So the book itself, I think, is really funny. Um, it's got lots of cartoons and easy to understand kind of explanations. And we wrote it that way because we want people to understand how important this is because tax policy is, Morris and I believe, the sexiest policy that one can possibly work on. I know a lot of people will disagree with that. But I mean, tax policy is sexy. If you take nothing away from this interview than that. But so what we wanted to do is just make it real for people. So we compare two couples. We compare the work carts who are just good, solid working people in America. They go to their jobs. They do their part for their community every day. And then the slumps who are folks who are already rich. And we look at how their tax bills compare, how their money is treated differently in the tax code and the result that that has on their economic well-being. Um, so I talked a little bit earlier about that differentiation between what you get taxed on a job and what you get taxed from investment income with people who are already rich and living off their investments receive a hugely preferential rate, about half the rate of working people. It goes even further than that, though. Ordinary folks buy a house and that's their primary asset. And most states and counties and blah, blah, blah have property taxes. So you pay a property tax on that wealth on your house. And we compare um, the Workhart's owning around a $250,000 house in Morgantown, West Virginia. Maybe, you know, I can't remember what the rate is there, but roughly their tax bill is around $3,000 on their property tax. Now take the slumps. Okay, the slumps own four racehorses, three Picasso paintings, you know, a bowl full of antique gold coins, a yacht and a little baby yacht to keep the big yacht company. (laughs) And they own a little tiny $250,000 house in Morgantown, West Virginia. The tax on their respective wealth is exactly the same. Uh. So the rich folks are only paying taxes on that one little house, nothing on the yacht or the little baby yacht. We think that needs to change. 
Boy, uh, I, yeah, I would think so, and I, th- I think we're getting some uh, some momentum on this. And and you say well, we are, and but then you have these billionaires. I mean, Elon Musk yesterday, right? He might end up being the first trillionaire. And I want to point out to everybody, he's not a self-made trillionaire for all that his marketing people would like you to believe he is. His dad owned an emerald mine. Okay. The guy was raised in tremendous fortune and privilege. And he then got a huge amount, billions and billions of dollars from the United States government subsidizing in various ways his companies and his endeavors. So, you know, glad some electric cars are out there. We clearly need them. Elon Musk needs to be paying some taxes on his wealth. But what billionaires do, because they don't take a salary, you know, and they right. don't need any, any, they can, and, and they borrow against their asset and that's their income. So, and they get these super great rates on their borrowing. So they never have any income that is capable of being taxed because it's all debt against their assets. So we've got to rethink on a really fundamental level, how we tax, not just what, what we tax, you know, how much we tax, but how we actually tax and how we look at people's assets um, and decide what sort of obligation they have to, you know, reinvest in the country that helped bring that great success about. Yeah, it, it's actually real. And people are starting to catch up with that, I think. Um, and you were just in West Virginia. And the, it's a beautiful state, so, by the way. So I hear. I would not want to be in one of the coal mines, however. Uh, Manchin, the senator from there, no doubt, oh, he hates all the newfound publicity. No doubt. He says... Does he hurt? No, I'm kidding. Obviously, he's (laughs) grooving on it every second of the day. He says, raising taxes on corporations will make America less competitive. That's what he said. You say the new proposal, which includes significant investments in infrastructure, would do the opposite, that it would, in fact, encourage investment and help the economy grow. How so? Well, I mean, listen to this. So you, I mean, basically people got to drive on roads. You know, the internet needs to function. People need to be able to get on a Zoom call to go to school in the middle of a global pandemic. I mean, there are all kinds of things that were exposed in the last two years. And I just do, I do want to point out that America's billionaires made about $2 trillion during the pandemic while six, well, about 700,000 people died and millions Mm -hmm. lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. So let's just put in perspective what we're talking about. But, um, but I mean, basically what we want to do is we want to have an educated workforce. We want to have parents being able to get to school because we have a reasonable daycare and care economy set up. We want elderly people to be able to get hearing aids and, you know, dental care if they need it. We want kids to be, I mean, daycare, kids in Arizona, okay. Parents in Arizona pay $300 a month to send their kids to public kindergarten. All right. I am the mom of a six-year-old. You watch that brain develop from the second those little babies come out. And those first six years are so incredibly critical to their brain development. Of course, we should fund daycare for working families. I mean, that should be something the federal government pays for. And so Manchin is just conservative. I mean, one of the things that's great about him, though, Bert, 
is, and I don't want to give him too much credit, but he is one of 17 Democrats on a bill to close the carried interest loophole, which is one of the most egregious loopholes in all of the land. It benefits about 5,000 of the richest people in the country. And so I do think that he has some reasonable commitment to real tax reform. And he actually suggested that we start with tax reform. No, he doesn't want to raise the corporate rate. And I'll tell you this, we're less concerned with the rate than we are with the fact that 55 highly profitable multinational corporations did not pay anything in income taxes. We don't want Starbucks to be able to pretend to be an Irish company and avoid taxes. So we are much less concerned about the rate than we are about the structure of the corporate tax. And what it looks like the White House framework today is going to implement a minimum tax that is based right. in some way on the profits that the, these companies report to their shareholders, which is often quite different than the profit they report to the IRS. And that's a good step. A global minimum tax on corporations. Fantastic step. Yes. Those are good things. They are. Yeah. It has amazed me how spineless I need to get elected. Democrats have shied away from from taxing the richest among us. You say that aside from being the right thing to do politically, it's it's Democratic opposition to Biden's tax increases is a massive mistake politically. Why why do you come to that conclusion? Oh my gosh, why listen, taxing wealthy people, multimillionaires, billionaires, those are some of the most popular public policies in the country right now, equalizing ordinary income and capital gains rates over a million dollars, polls at 74%, closing this thing called the stepped up in basis, which lets you know hugely rich families pass on huge amounts of money tax-free to their children, never doing a thing, you know, hugely popular. And this is not just popular with Democrats. It's the vast bipartisan majority of Americans, including Republicans. Okay, so Democrats who are saying that it's politically unwise, number one, they've lost their minds. Number two, they've been talking to their donors way too much. Okay, I mean, that's just, you cannot escape that. I'll tell you, a lot of people don't want their taxes raised. All those people are giving money to the Democrats and to the Republicans and buying off the political system. So do not ever let a politician convince you. Yeah. That taxing multimillionaires is a bad political move. That is nonsense. Well, you're right. I'm sure it's because the people they talk to. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest for this half is the uh, co-author of the new book, Tax the Rich, How Lies, Loopholes, and Lobbyists Make the Rich Even Richer. Our guest is Eric Payne. She is founder and president of Patriotic Millionaires. And a lot of people within the Democratic Party are concerned that you know, there's a lot of infighting. Well, there is a lot of infighting within the party. And they were people, a lot, of, a lot of people worry about that. But you observe that, quote, by choosing to capitulate to Republicans instead of standing by Biden's sensible proposals, they are driving the wedge deeper. Please explain that. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you so we put up a website, taxtherich.com, and there is a tab on there, the problems. And we put up the names and contact information for 14 Democrats who have basically been the barrier to President Biden getting his agenda passed. And I want to be very clear. 
President Biden traveled the country when he was campaigning and he told everybody that when he got into office, he was going to tax the rich and repair this great country of ours. And he went into office wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. And he called for things like equalizing ordinary income and capital gains rates over a million dollars. He has called for a number of very good policies that people like Josh Gottheimer from New Jersey um, and this this little crop of rogue Democrats Mm -hmm. who are too tied to their Wall Street donors. These 14 people are standing in the way of progress for the entire country. It's time for them to get on board. Kathleen Rice, a congresswoman from New York, she was one of three Democrats to um, vote against letting Medicare negotiate drug prices. Are you kidding me? Whoa. You know, Kirsten Cinema, the senator from Arizona, whose constituents are paying 300 bucks to get their kid into kindergarten. Okay, public kindergarten. Kirsten Cinema has a red line on the carried interest loophole. She told the White House she will not vote for the infrastructure bill if it closes the carried interest loophole. The carried interest loophole is a loophole that allows fund managers to mischaracterize their ordinary income as capital gains income and get a 50% off coupon on their tax bill. It affects 5,000 of the richest people in the country to the tune of about $300,000 in tax savings for each of them. That's what Kirsten Cinema is spending her political capital protecting mm. rather than getting those kids in Arizona into school and better yet into daycare and preschool. So, I mean, that makes me sick. I think it should make anybody sick. I think it should make most people in Arizona sick and they should get rid of coach and cinema. I mean, it's not more complicated than that, but we got to live with her for another two and a half years. So let's get her vote on this bill first. Yeah. She's, she's earned some pressure against her. Oh my goodness. Yes, she is. Well, I, and, and it is in our interest. It's not just because, you know, we're good people. We want to be nice to, to people who don't have a lot of resources. It's in all of our best interest to have roads that work, to have an internet, et cetera, et cetera. It's in, and, and intelligent, uh, not too incredibly greedy people with a lot of money realize that as well. It's in their interest. And I have long thought, as many have, that FDR's New Deal saved capitalism from itself. And along similar lines, both Dick Cheney and uh, uh, AOC have asserted that deficits don't matter. That's a direct quote from both of them at the federal level. And certainly FDR had a significant deficit, but the country... It was in great shape, you know, through his New Deal. It helped tremendously. How is that distinction particularly relevant as we try to recover from this pandemic? Well, I mean, look, there are deficits in their investments, and they should be looked at very differently. I mean, if somebody actually had a long time and a whole bunch of patients, they should rethink how they think about the federal government's budget in general. You know, I spent about $200,000 getting an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. There was a long time where I was paying off school loans thinking, and I'm sure I'm glad I made this decision. You know, but of course I am. That was a great decision. And investing in kids in their early, those five years of their formative brains, that's important stuff to do. Building an internet so if we have another global pandemic, you know, that people can keep on going to school and have high-speed rural broadband. I mean, these are important investments for the country to make for its long-term prosperity and stability. And I'll tell you this, every study 
has shown that you don't know who's going to end up being the you know, super smart person with a great idea, the innovator, right. the entrepreneur and all of that. The best thing we and, and so if they look at kids across, you know, socioeconomic diverse backgrounds, the raw talent is there spread out across the population by not investing in our entire population. We are costing ourselves an enormous amount of human talent that could be put to bear on all of these great challenges that we faced. And we're only, you know, really wealthy people are able to invest in their families. Middle-class families can invest in their kids a bit. Poorer families don't have that ability, but we as a nation would be incredibly well served by getting that talent, the resources it needs to develop and thrive. And so that's the kind of, I mean, one of the things that Morris says all the time, our chairman, he always says, Erica, I'm not any more altruistic than the next guy. Mm -hmm. I'm just greedy for a different kind of country. (laughs) And we want to build a really rich country for that a whole lot of people can be rich in, you know? Yeah, sounds. I think that's a wonderful uh, <laughs> dream and good you know, goal, right? Yeah, and and messaging is so important. The right for a long time have had this clear, overarching, old message uh, as it relates to taxes: lower taxes, limit government's footprint. That seems to resonate really well with working people. How is the left failing the cause of economic equality in its messaging? How is it? Well, I mean, look, I don't think Democrats like to talk about it. You know, I mean, two things. Number one, Democrats don't like to talk about taxes because they have been stuck with this tax and spend moniker forever. My suggestion to Democrats is to make a commitment never to raise taxes on people who make less than a million dollars of income or five million dollars of worth. I even think going down to the $450,000 level is the wrong political decision. And our members have that level of income. So we only focus on taxing people above that. But what I would say to them is lean into it. I mean, if my experience in Mm. West Virginia with a 34 point plus on the Trump side, you know, people I talked to had some issues about, you know, vaccine mandates and people who are different than them and yada, yada, yada. They were very clear in their desire to tax millionaires, billionaires to do things like pay for better schools. So anybody who's not running on that is missing the boat. And Republicans Mm -hmm. are trying to insist to people that people lower down in the income scale are going to get taxed. That is completely absurd. And most Republicans are leaning into this ridiculous stuff like critical race theory and whatever else they come up with. Because if everybody knows, I mean, if people really knew what Republican policies were they'd never vote for them republicans <laughs> refused to raise the minimum wage you know i mean they rewrote the whole tax code in 2017 and 2018 for the first time in history billionaires paid a lower effective tax rate than every other group of people in the country so i mean if you're looking for somebody who knows how to run an economy i would not be looking to you know mitt romney donald trump and the rest yeah, that's for sure that crew. and there is one study which which indicates that not a single policy introduced between the 80s and the 2010s was supported that was supported by the majority of the voters but opposed by the rich and the certain portions of the business community ended up being passed into law it had popular support but it wasn't passed into law so how do we pass laws taxing the rich how how can we make it happen well i mean this is this is kind of the point you're talking about a princeton study and i i remember the words it said that the preferences that the average American have a minuscule, statistically irrelevant chance of becoming law unless they are supported by wealthy people um, or the business 
community, broad, broadly speaking. And so that's kind of what the patriotic millionaires are here to do. You know, we have recruited a group of members who can do math, you know, who <laughs> recognize that making investments in the country is ultimately good for them. You know, they want to build companies and have people buy the products that they are selling. You need to have a robust middle class in order for that kind of virtual cycle to um, to get going and continue. And so they look at this as being in their own self-interest. They're basically against a group of millionaires and billionaires who are largely focused on the extraction industry, you know, pulling oil, gas, coal, whatever out of the ground and who are less focused on these consumer goods. And so we just have a totally different framework for what kind of country we want to live in. And so, but having these business voices, these investor voices, these voices of wealthy people, and frankly, yes, the voices of people who are big contributors to politics, to have them look at a politician and say, please raise my taxes. That is a powerful message. And I think that that's part of the reason why we're looking at $2 trillion of increased taxes from the richest people and the most profitable corporations, because we've had a bunch of rich people for the last 10 years telling every politician who would listen to them that they want to pay higher taxes and mm -hmm. they think everybody like them should pay higher taxes. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've finally seen some progress. That's a good thing. Not and nearly it, enough, Bert, by the way. It, Not nearly enough. Well, it's a good step. One step at a time. Journey of a thousand <laughs> miles, as they say. Well, the, <laughs> webs right. the website, patrioticmillionaires.com or patrioticmillionaires.org. I guess you have two of them, right? Well, they and they all direct to the same thing. Um, and then the other one, the one that really just lays out just specifically focused on the tax piece is um, is taxtherich.com. And we have a place there for people to sign up to be part of this ongoing campaign. And um, and one great thing about signing up to work with the Patriotic Millionaires is we'll never ask you for money, but we will ask you to <laughs> call your lawmakers, organize yourselves, you know, talk to the media, talk to your communities and things like that. But um, But we've got the We've got the financial piece of running this campaign covered. So we'd love people to join because we can win this fight and we're in the process of winning it. 11 years ago, Bert, people thought we were cuckoo birds. Right. Fast forward, we've got tax the rich on the back of AOC's dress at the Met Gala. Yes. You know, I mean, billionaires, billionaires, they're, they're starting to feel the heat. Elon Musk came out swinging yesterday because he knows we're right. And he knows we're going to eventually win, and he is going to start paying some taxes. And that's a great thing. Erica Payne, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, it's always have a good to sense optimism. We can do it. Thank you so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. We are keeping democracy alive. Twice a week, every week. Subscribe. Don't miss a single one. On the website, 
Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.